Great, thank you so much for reading that. Good morning, everyone. If you don't know who I am, my name's Richard. I'm part of the staff team here at St. Paul's. I'm the assistant pastor. It's lovely to be able to speak to you this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 12. It's, um, it's one of the Bible's great chapters. I think it's a, a key hinge point in the, the narrative of the Bible. We, um, we move out of the kind of primeval world of Genesis 1 to 11, and we focus our attention in on this one family, a family that we're going to follow throughout the rest of the story of the Bible as we see successive generations and we see this family become a nation and uh, we see the Messiah himself coming from within this family. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there are uh, a range of Bibles at the back uh, which you are welcome to go and grab. We're going to kind of work through this passage kind of pretty much verse by verse or a couple of verses at a time. And so it would be great if you had, um, had the passage in front of you. Um, before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the way that it speaks into our lives. And Lord, I want to pray this morning that you would speak again by your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1 says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Leave your country, your people, your father's household. I'm just going to cut straight to the chase this morning and, uh, and say this. God's call on our lives will usually entail some kind of personal cost. God's call on our lives, following the call of God on our lives, will usually involve some kind of personal cost, and it will require faith. Abraham is called by God to leave the place that he settled, to leave the place where he's prosperous, to leave the place that he knows and loves, to leave the community in which he's lived, to leave his wider family. And he's called to go to an unspecified destination. He's called to leave a place of tangible security, tangible prosperity, and go to an unspecified destination. God's call on our lives will usually involve some kind of personal cost at some point, and it will require faith. I have a certain um, empathy, only in a small way, with Abraham uh, at the moment, because for us as a family to follow uh, what we believe is God's call on our life uh, over the last couple of years has meant um, moving twice in 20 months. So we moved from Tunbridge Wells to Cambridge, and then we moved from Cambridge to Ealing. And every time that we moved, there was a sense of cost. There was a personal cost involved in moving, because every time we moved, we left a place that we loved. We left people that we loved. We left security in the community, in the relationships, in the work that we had there. Our children were settled in school there and had friends. 
And every time that we moved, we left that place of security and stability. And we moved to a place where there was a degree of uncertainty, of instability. We didn't know people. God's call on our lives will usually involve some kind of personal cost. I don't know what it's cost you to follow God's call on your life thus far. I don't know what it's costing you at the moment to follow God's call on your life. And I certainly don't know what it will cost us in the future. But sometimes I think it's good to be upfront and honest and say, look, following God's call will usually involve some kind of cost for each one of us. But you know what? Every time that we moved, when I look back on the last 20 months and think about those different moves, I look back and I think, actually, I think we gained more than we lost. I think we gained more than we lost. When we just moved to Cambridge, uh, Ben, he's our oldest child, he's, um, he was like maybe six at the time. He said, he said to me, Dad, you know, my friends back in Tunbridge Wells, they've only got 30 friends. But me, because I've moved to Cambridge, I've got 60. And then we were driving around Devon um, this summer, uh, not for the whole summer, we were just driving in, we were driving in Devon this summer. And, he, and I, in the back of the car, I could hear him doing some maths. And he said, you know, Dad, um, because we moved to Ealing, I've got 90 friends now. But my friends in Tom's Wells, they've only got 30. And like, it's a, it's a childlike way of looking at it. But actually, I think there's something profound about that. Because actually, as we step out in, be, in obedience, as we follow the call of God on our lives, yes, there's a cost. Yes, there is a cost. And, and we felt that cost. And you guys, at times, will have felt that cost. But honestly, think as we look back in hindsight, and as we look back in eternity, we'll say, you know what, we gained more than we lost. We gained more than we lost. For Abraham, there was a cost. The place that Abraham lived, people think that the community there, the people in that area, they would have worshipped the moon. That's what they think, the scholars think. Abraham would have come from a community where that was their practice. That's what they did. And Abraham is called. And he's called to leave that place. And he's called to go on an adventure. He's called to go on a journey in which he will discover. And even in this passage that we're going to look at in a bit, he will discover not the moon. He will discover the God who created the heavens and the earth. He will discover the one true God. There was a cost for Abraham, but Abraham gained so much more than he lost. In verse 2 it says this, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. This is God speaking. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God called Abraham with the intention of blessing him. God called Abraham with the intention of blessing him. God knew there'd be a cost, but his intention was to bless him. God calls us, each one of us, with the intention of blessing 
us. That doesn't mean that there won't be trial and pain and suffering on the journey. It doesn't mean that having heard that, you're going to go from here and suddenly earn six figures and and drive a Mercedes. It doesn't mean that. But God's intention is to bless his people. His intention is to bless those that he called. The Bible depicts a God who loves us, who loves his people. It depicts a God who gave himself an incredible cost to redeem creation, and that includes you. The Bible depicts a God who is for us and not against us. God's intention in calling us is to bless us, but it's more than that. God calls Abraham to be a blessing to others. He calls him to be a blessing to other people. God calls you to be a blessing to other people. I don't know if you sense a specific call on your life or not. But I do know this. God has called you for a purpose. And his purpose in calling you is to be a blessing to other people. Yesterday at the noise, the the, the pictures that we've seen, and those of you who were able to take part in that day, that was... That was, just a, that was just a small part of what God has called us to. We've been called to that. You've been called to be a blessing. You've been called to be a blessing in your family. You've been called to be a blessing in your street, in your school, in your office, in wherever you find yourself. God's called you to be a blessing. One of my favorite passages at the moment, or a passage that I find challenging, and forgive me because uh, I spoke at this at a cluster group earlier, Uh, this week but there's a passage in Jeremiah where Jeremiah writes a letter to those who've been taken into exile these are these are people that have been taken prisoner basically into other cities this was not a good situation that they were in and he writes to them and one of the things that he says it's in Jeremiah chapter 29 one of the things that he says to them seek the prosperity of the city in which you are a prisoner Seek its prosperity. In other words, Jeremiah is saying to these people who are going through the most dreadful, dreadful situation, be a blessing. Be a blessing in the place that you find yourself. I don't know if you have a sense that God has called you to something very, very specific. But I I assure you, tomorrow morning, when you go to work, or you go to school, or you go to wherever you go, there is a call on your life, and the call on your life is that you would be a blessing to other people. If you want to hear more about blessing, then listen to last week's um, talk from the bishop, Bishop Graham, in the morning. He spoke about blessing. But we've been called to be a blessing to others. But I think it's important to see that, that actually for Abraham to follow this, to, for Abraham to step out, required faith. It really did. Because Abraham was being asked to leave a place of tangible security, tangible prosperity. And he was being asked by God, and probably a God that he didn't really know. He was being asked to trust in promises that actually were quite nebulous. I will make you into a great nation, God says. Well, Abraham will never live to see that. How can he? Unless Sarah has like a million children, that's not going to happen. That's a promise that Abraham can't really live to see, not in his earthly life. I'll make your name great. 
And it says this, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What does that mean to Abraham in that moment there? See, we love that verse as Christians. We look back on that with 4,000 years worth of reflection. 2,000 years of theological reflection on Jesus Christ. And we say, look, this is a verse in which we see the Old Testament depicting the coming of the Messiah. Abraham's descendant, Jesus, God made flesh. But Abraham didn't know that. We have the benefit of that, but Abraham didn't know that. He didn't know what that meant. For Abraham, following the call on his life required faith. In Hebrews, it says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then there's a long list of people in the Bible that displayed great faith. There are more verses written about Abraham than anyone else in that passage. For Abraham to leave that place of tangible prosperity and security, to follow a God that he didn't really know in the hope of some blessing that was quite nebulous, that required a lot of faith. Verse 4 says this, So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham was obedient to the call of God. Abraham, Abraham, he becomes Abraham. I always get confused when you're preaching on these passages. He set out. He followed the call of God. He was obedient. And it says that he went to the land of Canaan. We don't... Uh, we don't exactly know, well, we don't know why he says that, why he goes there. But interestingly, a couple of verses before in chapter 11, it says this. Terah took his son Abram. So Terah was Abram's father. His grandson Lot of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. It's interesting that Abraham, when he hears this call of God, the place he sets out to, the first place he goes to, is the place that his father had had on his heart to go, but never got there. The first place he sets out to is the place that his father, Terah, had on his heart to go to, but he never arrived there. It says of Terah that actually he came to Haran, he settled there, And he died there. He never got to the place that was in his heart to go. When Abraham hears this call, he sets out to go to the place that his father had intended to go to. I want to encourage you this morning, as we follow the call of God on our lives, let's never ever settle. Let's never ever think that we've arrived you know you guys might be sitting here this morning you may have followed Jesus for the last 75 years of your life you may have you will have discovered the most wonderful things on that journey that those of us who are 
who, have, who are less well-traveled will, will hopefully at some point discover. But as we follow God, let's never ever think that we've arrived. Let's never ever settle in Haran when it was on our heart to go to Canaan. Let's keep pursuing God. You know, some of the people that have been the, the biggest blessing to me are people who have, who have walked a long way with God and continue to pursue him. I love people like that. I can look up to people like that. They can cheer me on and I can aspire to be people like that. You, you, may, have, you may have sat in church, you may have heard 30 or 40 sermons on Genesis chapter 12 and probably 38 of them have been a way better than the one you're hearing right now. But I want to, and the other two you probably can't remember because you were too young. But you know, I just want to encourage. I, I feel like I want to say, if you're if you're 75 or there or thereabouts, and you've walked every day of your life with Jesus, I want to encourage you so much as wanting to keep going. Maybe like your faith, just sometimes I guess faith can become a bit staid and it becomes a bit pedestrian, and you feel like I've heard this before. I want to encourage you this morning: keep going. Don't settle in Haran when it's on your heart to get to Canaan. The knowledge of God is completely inexhaustible and his mercies are new every single morning. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I love this bit. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I just love the fact that there's a place called the Great Tree of Moreh. I just love that. Just because I think, what a great place. I'd love to go there. I'd love to have seen that place. It sort of sounds like something out of a Tolkien novel, and I love that kind of stuff. So I just think, what a brilliant verse. It's one of my, probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible just for that. But, um, but actually, this is a really interesting verse, I think. The Great Tree of Moreh, it, it's thought, was a place of divination. People would go there to, to worship and to learn the future. It was a place where they think soothsayers were there. There were shrines there and stuff like this. And Shechem becomes a place, it was for Abraham here, I'll mention that in a minute, but it becomes a place throughout Israelite history of decision. It's a place of decision. At Shechem, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Joshua chapter 24, the Israelites are brought back to that place and they have to make decisions in that place whether they will continue to pursue God or whether they will compromise and pursue something else. Shechem becomes, um, it, it becomes a place of decision for the nation. I think in this place, Abraham makes a decision. He makes a decision for God. He makes a decision not to go back to his old ways where the moon was worshipped and no doubt other gods were worshipped as well if it, if it seemed like it was beneficial. He makes a decision to be faithful to the God that's brought him this far. And because he does that, I think Abraham learns an amazing lesson. An amazing lesson. At that time, it says, the Canaanites were in the land. In Abraham's day, um, gods were kind of geographical. They were territorial. 
a god would have jurisdiction over a certain area of land. The fact that it says the Canaanites were in the land suggests that the Canaanite god had jurisdiction in that area. People, people would carry their gods with them. They'd carry them into battle. They, you know, they would, because their god had jurisdiction in a geographical area. So god, uh, Abraham comes to this place and the Canaanites were in the land. This area of land belongs to the Canaanite god. He has control here. But Abraham's God says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. To your offspring, I will give you this land. There is a lesson for Abraham. There is a wonderful, wonderful discovery for Abraham as he starts this journey with God. He learns that the God that he's following, he's not restricted to geography. He's not restricted to a certain area. It doesn't matter to him whether the Canaanites are in the land or not, or whoever's in the land. The God that Abraham's following, he's the God that created the heavens and the earth. He's the God who is sovereign over everything that he has made. I will give you this land, despite the fact that the Canaanites are currently in it. I love that. There's this amazing part in the first chapter of Jonah, where Jonah is, you know the story, where Jonah's running away, he's on the ship, there's this great big storm and um, it, it speaks of the sailors, in ver- the other sailors that were with him in, in verse 5 of, of Jonah chapter 1. It says, they each cried out to their own God. They did that because they were hoping that one of their gods might be responsible for what was going on. So if we all cry out to our gods, well hopefully one of us will kind of hit the nail on the head and, and that God will be able to sort this problem out. A couple of verses later, Jonah comes in, he says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the God who made the land and the sea. If you want to know who can do something about this storm, it's my God. He made the land and the sea. He is sovereign over the heavens and the earth. Jonah knew that, and Abraham learns it here at Shechem, the place of decision. You know, we look at our world, don't we? We look at what's going on sometimes what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening with the economy, what's happening with the environment. Sometimes you feel so overwhelmed with what's going on. The God that called Abraham, the God that called you, the God that we've worshipped here this morning, he's the God that made the land and the sea, the heavens and the earth. The Canaanites might be in the, in the land, but I will give you this land. God's in control. He's sovereign over all that he made. And Abraham learns that lesson here at Shechem. So it says he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then it says from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. Oh, my eyes are going. I must uh, need glasses. Dreadful. Getting older. Even as I speak, I'm getting older. There he built an altar. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> there he built an You say, hurry up, Rich, because so am I. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Let me just finish um, by saying this. Abraham is following this call and he goes to all these different places. You know, sometimes I think as we follow God's call, 
we would like life to be neatly mapped out. It's like when the, when the midwife puts that little band on your wrist or on your arm when you're first born, it has your name on it, how much you weigh. We'd sort of like there to be in there like a little chip or something like that, that when you're 14 years old, you could get it scanned and um, you would suddenly discover the plan for the rest of your life, God's plan for the rest of my life. What courses I'm going to study, what gap year I'm going to do, which uni I'm going to go to, who I'm going to marry, you know, uh, what to call our children if we have children, what job to do. You know, we just would love sometimes, wouldn't we? I, I felt like that. We'd love our life just to be neatly mapped out, that God would just provide us with the whole story so we knew exactly what we were doing. It was never that place of decision. We were just always, yes, I know exactly what I'm doing for the next 60 years. I don't know if you've, I feel like that a lot. It's not how God works. Abraham went to place to place, and I believe in each of those different places he had to seek God. He had to seek God for the next step. You know, God only reveals or tends to in my experience he reveals what we need for the next step he doesn't tend to give us the next 75 years of our lives what we need for the next step and he does that because he loves us he does it because he loves us he does it because if we knew where we were going for the next 60, 70 years we'd never really need to come back to him We'd never really need to get down on our knees and say, God, what shall I do? Help me. And God doesn't want that. God wants his children to be in that intimate relationship with him, where we're close to him, where we hear his voice, we know his heart, so that we can discern the next step. Sometimes that's a tough place to be. But it's as we seek after God. It's as we enter into those times of intimacy with God that we learn about him, that we learn his heart for us, his heart for the world, and his plan for our lives. So sometimes we would love it, wouldn't we, if the whole of life was mapped out neatly for us. But God doesn't work like that. Not all the time, anyway. Usually he just gives you what you need for the next step because he wants you to trust him. He wants you to draw close to him, to rely on him for where you go next. Shall we stand together?